0: Also, we just started last week at a brand new series called Wandering and Wondering. And, and really the heart of this series is taking a look at the story of the Israelites in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament and, and looking at it through the lens of, of where we are and who we are today. Because it can feel, I don't know how you are, but sometimes when we read the Old Testament it can feel like these are people I cannot relate to, like I have not been a slave, I have not lived this experience, and sometimes it can kind of be hard to put yourself in those, the shoes of those people. Um, but what we found as we kind of took a step back and looked at it, as we examined the story, we found these, these natural and almost just like uh, uh, very relatable questions that we could, you could see them asking. They might not be saying it re- verbatim, but these questions kind of guide uh, the different parts of the narrative of the story like last week Matt was talking about. With Moses, why me? It's, it's like a personal identity thing with him of, of why would God choose him uh, to go and be a part of this, the story of his people. And so that, that's that kind of personal struggle there. This week, we're focusing on another question, uh, which is really focused around our circumstances, which is what is going on? Okay, what is going on is the question we're asking this week, um, and it's really focused on our circumstances, but as we look back into our story, starting in, in chapter 4, we're going to go through a lot of Scripture today, uh, but picking up where we left off last week, starting in chapter 4, we see Moses continuing to ask, why me? Like, he's gone through, if you were here last week, there's a lot that happened in Moses' life in this interaction with God. Um, to where you would feel like it and think like it would be resolved. I don't know if you've ever felt like this, where God's continued to point you in a direction and helped you to consider where you are and why you are where you are. And you should be in a place where you're like, okay, cool, I'm good. But we keep asking, well, why me? No, why me? So I feel like this is very much like a part of my story. In fact, we see this here in in, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, where Moses keeps asking why. (laughs) Moses says this, after all he's seen, Moses says, uh, but he protested again, what if they won't believe me, the Israelites or, or Pharaoh, those, those people? What if they don't, won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? He's still asking, why me? And what we see here is, in the next verse, we see a response from God. What God's really doing in this section is God is continuing to insist in trust and obey. He's insisting Moses to trust and obey and the reason for that is not to make himself feel better, but it's in order to build faith. Because when we trust God, when we obey God, when we follow his, his calling for us, what happens over time is God proves himself to be faithful, which builds faith in us when it comes to a relationship with God. So Moses, or God continues to insist that Moses trust and obey so that he might see faith build up in him. And in fact, God says this in verse 11. He says, Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? What a question. Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? And he continues on in verse 12 and says this, now go. So the trusting is you, you do know I am God, right? Like trust me. And then he asks for obedience and saying, now go, I will be with you. Those are five words I feel like that is like the theme of the Old Testament, is as God is asking for trust and obedience. He is ensuring a promise that I'm going to go with you. I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. God is insisting for us to trust and obey so that we might build faith. And it's a shift in this conversation now that we've shored up this why me to a certain extent. I think there's still a little bit of imposter syndrome for Moses, but it's, it's shifting that conversation, that question from a personal identity thing to a current circumstance question, which then shifts the question from why me to what's going on? What's going on is the question that we're gonna see the Israelites and Moses continue to ask time and time again, even though they've already seen God be faithful. And so we see God begin to lay out his plan. So in verse 19, God starts to talk about his plan. He's, t- he's talking to Moses after he started to obey. God then tells Moses, before he left Midian, the Lord said to him, Return to Egypt. For all those who wanted to kill you have died. If you were following around last week, you know the situation in Egypt for Moses was not good. Like, he, he had a lot of trouble in his past. It was not a place he could easily go, but God's like, don't worry, everyone's dead. You're good. Go back. Um, so Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and headed back to the land of Egypt. In his hand, he carried the staff of God. That's an important part of the story. That's kind of part of how he, he, he performed some of the miracles that God uh, prepared him to do. It continues on like this. Um, it, It says, and the Lord told Moses, when you arrive back in Egypt, go to Pharaoh and perform all the miracles I have empowered you to do. But I have hardened his heart, so he he will refuse to let the people go. What's interesting here is he's giving him clear instruction. He's saying, trust me and obey. And by the way, when you do that, it's not going to work out the way you think it will. Because in Moses' mind, he's like, okay, cool, I'll go and do this, I'll do these miracles, and then everything's going to be great. And I don't know about your experience in life, but sometimes it can feel like you've got a nice clear road, roadmap for what's next, and then you hit something, and it's not how it expected to turn out. Anybody with me there? God is promising Moses it's not going to turn out the way, he is, uh, the way he hopes it will, because he's hardening Pharaoh's heart. God is continuing to insist that Moses trust and obey so that he might build faith in here. So let's continue on in the next verse. It says, then you will tell him, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, so I-, I commanded you, let my son go so he can worship me, but since you have refused, I will now kill your firstborn son. And if you know anything about this story, this is not an empty threat. This is not a casual mention. This is a promise of what is to come. God is laying out the entire plan for what he's going to do through Moses in his people in this time with Pharaoh. And as we see time and time again, God is insisting that Moses trusts and obey him. Why? So that he builds faith in Moses, so that Moses would increase his faith, because what he's about to walk through is going to require faith. and What builds faith? Trust and obedience over time. It also requires consistency, and that's part of why we're grateful that God is faithful. He continues to prove himself over and over and over again. In fact, we see that this faith about who Moses is is a hallmark characteristic of his character, of just who he is. In fact, Matt was talking about this, and it's recorded in the New Testament in Hebrews. The author of Hebrews says it like this. He's speaking about Moses. He says, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because, this is important, he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. That idea of keeping your eyes focused on the things that matter most, on the one who matters most, is going to be a big part of the Israelite story because what is tempting, I don't know if you're like this, but what's, what's really tempting is to, to get your eyes off of what's important. Things are constantly pulling our attention, pulling our distraction away. But it's because of Moses' faith that he was able to experience what we're about to see in his life. And I want to give you a little bit of a picture real quick of just the Israelites reality. Because it's easy to hear these stories, especially if you grew up in the church. Like you've probably heard the story a million different times. You've maybe seen the movies or two, you know, about this. And you have a picture of what the Israelites life was like. But I don't think we truly get our heads in in the game on this because these people were not just people who had just been thrown into slavery. This was like a generational situation. Like the students, the kids, the young adults who were going through this were like the children of children who were enslaved. Does that make sense? This was not a quick, and easy thing. This is all they ever knew. So when Moses came to them to promise deliverance, to promise freedom, to promise a new and better way of living, it was received with like, this is a, finally a piece of hope for us. That is not something we're used to getting. And in fact, I want to read through a section together. So if you've got your Bibles or if you've got your Bible app or something like that, pull it out. We're going to look at Exodus 5. We're going to read the entire chapter. It sounds like a lot. It's not, I promise. But we're going to see Pharaoh's initial response to uh, Moses and his brother Aaron coming into the picture, where Aaron is entered in because, uh, again, Moses continues to say, why me? Well, God gives him his brother Aaron, who's good at speaking and, and kind of walking through this with him. So we'll see him connected to Moses quite a bit in this section. But what's important is, is what God said. He said, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. So what does that look like in actuality? So starting in verse 5, we see this. <clears throat> it says, after this presentation to Israel's leaders, Moses and Aaron went to spoke to Pharaoh they told him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. Is that so, retorted Pharaoh? And who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. There's the hardening of the heart we're starting to see a little bit. Um, But Aaron and Moses persisted. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. They declared, "So let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness so we can offer sacrifices to our Lord. If we don't, He will kill us with a plague or with a sword." Uh, Pharaoh replied, "Moses and Aaron, why are you distracting the people from their tasks? Get back to work. Look, there are many of your people in the land, and you are stopping them from their work. His focus is not on these people actually being people. He sees them as a commodity. He sees them as a means to his end of producing what he needs out of these people. He barely sees them as people at all, in fact. And we can, we can see this as he continues to speak. In verse six, he says, the same day Pharaoh sent this order to the Egyptian slave drivers and the Israelite foremen, do not supply any more straw for making bricks. Make the people get it themselves, but still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's bananas. They are lazy. That's why they are crying out, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. They just want to break. Uh, load them down with more work. Make them sweat that will teach them to listen to lies when it comes to what Moses and Aaron has been telling them. So the slave drivers and foremen went out and told the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not provide any more straw to you. You go get it yourself. Find it wherever you can, but you must produce just as many bricks as before. And so the people scattered throughout the land of Egypt in search of stubble to use a straw. Meanwhile, Egyptian slave drivers continued to push hard. Meet your daily quota of bricks, just as you did when you provided when we provided you with s- straw. They demanded. Uh, then they wiped the Israel. Uh, the, they whipped the Israelite foreman uh, they had put in charge of the work crews. Why haven't you met your quotas? Uh, either yesterday or today, they demanded it. You can kind of see this game of telephone that's happening. Pharaoh's speaking to his, his uh, uh, people, or the slave drivers, the slave drivers speaking to the foreman. We're going to see that continue to go around as we get all the way back to God in this situation. So he, they, they, they beat and they hurt uh, the Israelite foreman. So the Israelite foreman then went to Pharaoh and pleaded with him, please don't treat your servants like this, they begged. We are given no straw, but the slave drivers still demand to make bricks. We are beaten and it isn't our fault. Your own people are to blame. But Pharaoh shouted, you're just lazy. Lazy. That's, what that's, what you're, that's why you're saying, let us go and offer sacrifices to the Lord. Now get back to work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still produce the same quota of bricks. Uh, the Israelite foreman could see that they were in serious trouble when they were told, uh, you must not reduce the number of bricks you make each day. As they left Pharaoh's court, they confronted Moses and Aaron, who were waiting outside for them. So again, Pharaoh his, pe- his slave drivers, the foreman, now going back to, to Aaron and Moses. And what are they going to ask him? They're going to say, uh, or what are they going to say to him? They're going to say, uh, the foreman said to them, may the Lord judge and punish you for making us stink before Pharaoh and his officials. You have put a sword into their hand and an excuse to kill us because you brought all this stuff up. You brought this hope game in and now this is happening to us. And this 22 and 23, are the most important part, listen. Then Moses went back to the Lord and protested, why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you send me ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman? He has been even more brutal to your people, and you, God, have done nothing to rescue them. In short, if I were going to have a translation of this section of 22 and 23, my translation would be, what is going on? What is going on? That's what Moses is doing here. He's seeing all he's doing. I trusted you, God. I obeyed you, God. And I did this thing, and now this is not at all what I expected. I expected to roll in, and now I'm like the MVP because I helped save everything, and we're all good. Like, that's got to be where his head was at, right? Like, this is all going to be good things. God's telling me to do this. It should be great. He just didn't listen to that last part where he said going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And it was going to really be an actual challenge. Moses is asking, what is going on? But what happens here is it's not just this thing by itself because you might not be able to relate with this so much because, honestly, we, we don't experience slavery. Like, we aren't enslaved. Like, we aren't experiencing these conditions. But there are things in life that we go through that can feel like we trusted God, we're, we're walking in obedience, but we just lost the job. When we got that diagnosis we weren't expecting that we didn't want. We're experiencing challenges with our kids. We're experiencing loss, we're experiencing grief, we're experiencing pain, election results are coming next year. Like there's real things that are happening in our lives that we're walking through that feel like, what is going on? I did what you asked me to do, God, what's going on? It's not meant to be transactional, but in our minds, sometimes we can get ourselves to a position where it feels like we deserve or should have this peace. So Moses comes back to God and is saying all this, what is going on, God? But God's response to him in the very, very next verse is this. This is chapter 6, verse 1 says this, then the Lord told Moses, now, now, after all this, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave this land. My translation of this section is, trust me, trust me. Now, because of all that you've done, where you came to him and he responded in this way, his heart was hardened and his pain is more difficult, and you're asking, why is this happening? Well, because now, in the midst of all that, now you're going to see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh to deal with this situation, and as a result of that, not only are we going to be freed from this situation, but it's going to be Pharaoh who's pushing you guys out, which seems impossible to these people. And the story continues in, in chapter 6, verse 6, where, where God's speaking a little bit more about his whole plan, where he says, therefore, say to the people of Israel, Moses, watch how this is ended. He says, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. It keeps going like this. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know, then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt, and it finishes like this. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession, and it ends with, again, I am the Lord. There's this theme of everything God's doing is not so that his people are happy, or so that they feel better, or so these things are conditional. The whole point of all this is so that the beginning, I am the Lord, your God, all this, by the way, I am the Lord your God. Do you see that? The whole point is to make God great. It's to make His fame and His, His holiness seen in all that He's doing. And so what we're seeing here, what we're, what we're beginning to see here, in my opinion, is that when we see ourselves in positions in, in moments and in circumstances where we're, we find ourselves asking, like, what is going on, We have to see what is God promising. And in this situation, what's God promising? He's saying, I'm going to promise to deliver you. I'm promising deliverance. Deliverance is just a fancy way of saying rescue, a freedom being delivered from something, you're in something, you're being delivered from it. It could be everything from this very real situation these very real people were in. It could be an addiction. It could be a, a, a moment where you feel trapped. It could be a situation you feel trapped. It could be lots of different things. But what we see here is that God is promising. Moses said, what are, you haven't done anything to free us. You haven't done anything to, to save us. And God goes on to say, no, no, no. I'm not going to save you from this one thing. I'm going to provide complete and total Deliverance. And when we find ourselves in these situations, asking, What is going on, God? What is going on? I believe there's a practical solution to this for us. And it is a practice, it's a thing we build over time. We have to shift our focus. We have to move our focus from the things that are around us, the things that are pulling and getting our attention. We have things in our pockets, on our wrists, on our our desks. We have kids. We have uh, people we work with. We have people in our lives who are constantly pulling and drawing for that attention. They're constantly pulling our focus away from the things that should be, and especially when you're in a moment where you're asking, what the heck is going on? It's very easy to be distracted. It's very easy to put your eyes on the things that get your attention the easiest, when in fact, I believe what we have to do is we have to turn our eyes from the things that pull that focus and put it on on to the one who is faithful. We have to remind ourselves of his faithfulness and put our eyes on it. It's a choice that we make. It's not an easy choice. It's not an easy practice. It's something that grows in time as we trust and obey and we build faith in God. We're more easily able to remember the times that he has been faithful so we can turn our eyes from the things that distract and pull us and turn our eyes, shift our eyes to his faithfulness. The story continues on, and, and there's a couple different chunks here. We're not going to go through all of it because I don't want to be here for the next two hours or something, um, but there's a couple different passages where he continues on in chapter seven where he ta- it, it kind of outlines God's plan a little bit more, where he's talking about his plan exactly to deliver his people, uh, and again, reiterating the fact that he is Lord. That's what we're seeing in chapter seven, uh, the, kind of the first part of that. So, it's God's plan and how he's going to deliver them, but also, the point of that is to make his name Great. The next section is what probably most of you guys are familiar with, and we're really not going to spend a whole lot of time on it today, because uh, uh, I, there's so much we could go into into the specificity and the meaning and the symbolism through these different experiences, but it's really the exchange between Moses and Pharaoh and the plagues that God promises to send to, to break Pharaoh of the hardening of his heart uh, uh, to get the result that he's looking for. Um, and it's everything from, from turning the Nile to blood to, to that, that, that promise that he made of, of losing the firstborn, right, that, that God was speaking to, and he kind of foreshadowed in the midst of the story. And at the end of that, uh, the very real moment where these people had lost children in their family, like I, I can't imagine the heartbreak and loss that all those people experienced, it was then that Pharaoh broke down and wanted to respond to Moses and Aaron. And this was even in the middle of the night. It says this um, in chapter 12. So Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night, get out, he ordered, which is exactly what God said was going to happen. Remember? He said, I'm going to make Pharaoh push you guys out. Leave my people and take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested it. Take your flocks and herds as you have said, uh, and as you said, and be gone. But, I love this part, but bless me as you leave. That'd be great if you could. <laughs> It's exactly what God said was going to happen. It's going to cause Pharaoh to push them out of the kingdom. And it continues on to the section right after this, where as they're finally receiving this freedom, they're getting to leave the land. The very first thing that God does is he instructs his people how to worship him and how to respond to him. Like, it's almost like a liturgical workbook that he lays out there, if you're going to do this when you walk out. Because what's happening here is he's giving them the ability to understand why what just happened. He's giving them the ability to respond in a way that is worthy of God. Because remember, the whole point of all this is to put God in the position of Lord. To understand that that he is Lord, for people to know who he is and what he has done. But then what happened after this, I find this really interesting. There's a, a section right here in verse 17 where uh, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God didn't go, go up here, take a right, and you'll be there, it'll be great. Why would he not do that? Because it seems like, okay, God, I don't know how you guys are, but God, in my life, God will provide a solution or a way out or he'll, he'll deliver me from a situation, but it won't look the way that I hoped it would or it won't be the result I hoped it would be. Nod your head if you're with me. And that can be very frustrating but what we see here is it continues on. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. If it's easy to go, it's easy to come right back. You see that? He knows these people. These are his people. It continues in verse 18 and says this. So so God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And if you know anything about this story, that's like the thing they complain about for the next, like, ten chapters. They're constantly complaining about, why are we still walking? We're having to go all the way around. Like, this is a huge thing for them. Thus, the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. And what I find interesting about this is God didn't just deliver them from Pharaoh. God delivered them from even themselves, God knew what their hearts would want to do. When things got tough, let's go back to where it's easier. We're going to see in a moment where, where, where some of the Israelites are talking about this to where it's actually better to be back there. I'd rather have the chains back, please. Thank you. I don't want to be here. He knew that's exactly where their hearts and their minds would be. And I don't know about you, but I feel like there's there's a lot of that in us today where I can feel like we're stepping out in faith, we're taking those steps as we feel led to, but as soon as something difficult happens or something that we don't expect happens, we want to retreat back to that place of safety. You, You see what I'm saying? God was delivering them not just from Pharaoh, but also from themselves. God was providing a complete and full deliverance. And a lot of times, what we see as being the solution, like boom, credit rolls, like these people thought that, oh, we're being let free. Great, that's the end of the story. The credits get to roll. The story's over, right? Happy ending. You know, we're good. That's just a band aid. That's a moment. It's a, it's a time that God is providing deliverance for us in that season. But God sees that as a part of a much bigger picture. It's not the end, it's just a part of the entire story. And in, in chapter 14, verse 4, we see God continue to lay this out of the rest of his plan as it continues to go. He says, and once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He's talking to Moses, and he will chase after He's kind of giving him heads of what's about to happen. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am Lord. Again, the whole point is I am the Lord. It's all about making himself known and his holiness be seen in all circumstances, not just to his Israelites, but to all people, including Pharaoh and his army. And there's an honest response from his people. Remember, he said, if, it's easy to, if I make it easy to go, it's probably going to be easy to come back. Listen to what happens here. This is verse 10, where it continues on like this. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and they panicked. They looked back, they see his huge army coming, they freaked out. And when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them, it continues on like this. Says they cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here in the wilderness to die? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Remember what God had said? If I make it nice and easy, what's gonna happen when they come right back? Or when, when they encounter something, it's gonna make it easy for them to come right back. This is showing that's exactly where their hearts were. I love what they say here in verse 12. It says this. It says, Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? Because we know everything. We said, leave us alone, let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> that's the real mindset. In actuality, what they're asking here is, what is going on? We told you this is going to happen. Why? We're trapped between a sea that we can't get across and this army that's going to come murder us. Like, what are we doing? Like, this is the worst idea ever. And they're They're, they're panicked. And when you're dealing with people who are panicked, you have to remind them of truth. And if you don't have people in your life like what Moses is about to do for these people, you got to find them, whether it's a spouse or a friend or a companion or some maybe family in your life, someone who can, when you're in that moment and you're seeing the sea, you're seeing the, the thing right behind you and you're freaking out, if you don't have someone who can bring you back down to earth, you got to find someone who's like that, at least a couple people. Because Moses starts to bring them back down to earth in the very next verse. He says this in verse 13. He says, but Moses told the people, don't be afraid, just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Just stay calm. What Moses is doing here is he's taking their eyes from the things that are right in front of him, the circumstances they can't get away from, the sea that they're stuck between, the army that's coming right around them, the, uh, the financial struggle that's coming down the pipe you see in two or three weeks, the loss that you know you can't bear yourself. He's t- saying, I get it, I see those things, but let the, let the Lord fight for you. Do not worry, stay calm. Keep your eyes on what's important. Lift your eyes from the things that are right here to the one who is faithful. That's got to be our response. And it's not easy. Don't hear me say that. Because we call them spiritual disciplines for a reason. It takes time. As someone who struggles with discipline... Like, this is a very real thing for me. It's hard for me to develop this. And I think some people do have a natural gifting, to have more faith than others. I think that's a thing. But I do believe it's also a muscle. I think it's a muscle you have to build over time. And some of that comes from being reminded of truth. Maybe you're a person who likes to write things down. You have a journal that you can go back and look at. Maybe you're a person who needs to have a conversation with someone to bring you back down to earth, be reminded of what is true and not just what is taking up your, your current circumstance, the things that are around you. Um, there's actually, like, when we look at the Old Testament, this is something they actually did. Like, Israelites would build monuments to remind them of what God had done. Because they just saw God do incredible things back in Egypt. Like, they just left all the things that happened with all the plagues. They just left that entire circumstance, and now they're here and they're freaking out, like, well, this is it. We have to do the same things. We, like the Israelites would b- take rocks and they would stack them up in key places to remind them of what God had done in that place. They didn't create memorials so we could go and like pay a tourist fee and like have a nice little experience. They built these memorials so that people would see what God had done. It would remind them and keep it fresh in their minds for them to tell their children and their children's children and even for themselves. This is not an easy thing to build this kind of faith, to be reminded to take our eyes off the things that are around us, our current circumstances, and to lift them to his faithfulness, but it's what we have to do. We have to do. We have to find those ways where there's those monuments, those things we put in our lives, those things we build. It might be a tattoo you have. It might be something you write in your window uh, or your mirror in your bathroom. It might be something you tell your friend. It might be something you put in your calendar. I don't know what it is. I don't know where you're at, but I know that you don't do enough right now in your life to remind yourself of the faithfulness of God and how he's already come through for you. And if we did that, we'd be reminded more often, and instead of it being a breaking case of emergency kind of situation, it would be something we would build into as a rhythm in our lives. So we'd be reminded of his faithfulness, which makes it easier and easier that when we're in the difficult moments, we can take our eyes from the things that are right around us and lift them to his faithfulness. Now, you know what happens God provides this incredible miracle in this moment. He splits the sea, he dries the ground. They walk right across no problem and the sea swallows up that entire army who was meant to take them out. And they have this moment. We see this in verse 31. At the end of this, at the end of this part of the story, it says, when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe and what? They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Now, I know there are some people you know in your life who need some kind of moment like this in order to build that faith. Like, it would take that kind of incredible moment. But sometimes, we just have to be reminded of what God has already done in our lives. Because faithfulness is not meant to be a moment. Faithfulness is meant to be a characteristic of a God we have a personal relationship with. He is reliable. He is trustworthy that as we build our faith in Him, He continues to prove Himself to be more and more faithful. So when we find ourselves in these circumstances, in these situations where we're asking, what the heck is going on? I don't understand. God's not afraid of that question, but He will respond to it in saying, don't forget who I am because I am the Lord. And part of our job, part of our practice but becoming more and more like Jesus is remembering what God has already taken us through. To remove our eyes from the things that are around us that are so easy to grab our attention, to grab our focus. They are very real things. Don't hear me say that, that they're not, that they're not important or they're not scary or they're not difficult. Like anxiety is rough. Like uh, uh, grief is crippling. Like the fear of losing a job or, or, or dealing with the impending loss of a loved one. Like Those are real things, people. None of that is easy. What we have to do is we have to build that muscle within ourselves to build faith, but also to remind ourselves that in those moments where we ask, what is going on? We take our eyes off of the things that are right near us, and we lift our eyes, just like Moses, we lift our eyes to His faithfulness as we remember in those, with those monuments that we build to His faithfulness, whether, again, whether it's a physical thing that you have, whether it's a mental thing, whether it's a calendar thing, whether it's something practical that you do to remind yourself of what God's done. It's not to diminish the things that are around you. It's to say that, okay, in the midst of this, I'm going to trust and obey so that I might build faith and in those moments, I'm able to lift my eyes from my circumstances, from the difficulties I'm walking through in my day-to-day life. and I'm going to lift my eyes to His faithfulness, because he is good, and he proves himself to be faithful time and time and time again. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful for your character, for your nature, the fact that you are faithful, for the fact that you are good, that we can build these monuments in our lives to to your faithfulness, God, to remind us of who you are, of times you've already walked us through, God, whether it's something huge like splitting a sea and and, and providing complete and total deliverance where we had no other way out. Or God, maybe just a moment where you were there, where you reminded us of your kindness and of your goodness. God, would would you help us to build this muscle of faith that we would become more and more accustomed to in these moments of panic and worry and fear and doubt and grief, that we would be able to take a breath, take a moment process those emotions, and in those moments, lift our eyes from our current circumstances and place them on your faithfulness. Because God, it is so comforting to know that even in the midst of these things, you are good and you are close. That God, you use all things for our good. And though it may not look or feel or be exactly what we hoped or wanted it to be, that we can trust because you are faithful you will be faithful to provide not just a momentary deliverance, but God, a full and total deliverance from all things. So we've got to pray for all those listening and and watching and, and hearing this, that they would be able to take the time to process those thoughts and emotions through this lens, that they have a faithful God who loves them, who wants them to experience his faithfulness in a real way, not just through a story, but God, as he did with his people so long ago, his very real people in a very real moment, God, he continues, you continue to provide that rescue and that peace because you are faithful. God, we're grateful people. So your name we pray. Amen.